Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. And a very pleasant good morning to you. It's a few minutes after 10 o'clock Central Time. This is Patrick Tempone on OneRadioNetwork.com. You may be watching on a video replay on BitChute or wherever else they hang out. So welcome regardless. If you are listening this morning on the 2nd of November, you can uh, call in live, 888-663-6386, or email a question for our guest, which is Fred Shevsky in the real world of money. And um, that happens every first Wednesday of the month. 888-663-6386, email Patrick, OneRadioNetwork.com. After we speak with Fred for a while, uh, we're going to come back uh, after about a five-minute break and uh, talk about some stuff, mainly our main subject of takes a long time to get young. We talk about your health, your your well-being, and you know the spiritual aspects of life and how we're going to survive and thrive during this great something that's going on. We're not sure what it is, but something. Fred Jashevsky is the uh, owner-operator of U.S. Coin Capital. You see his little thing here that we tell you about during the week. He buys and sells gold coins for a living. And uh, Fred is the uh, partner that he teamed up with Andrew Goss, our our money guy, many, many years ago, before I met him. I met Andrew, I think, around 93, so 30 years ago, and uh, learned a lot from him. And we did weekly shows, and Andy wrote a couple of books. And Andy's work is really the premise of the research for my screenplay called The Real World of Money and that we are rewriting and rewriting and we're going to sell someday. One note with Fred and as Andy, they started this early on with their company that they never did get involved with the idea of, hey, the sky is falling, buy gold. You know, that thing, the kind of stuff you hear on the radio or on late night TV when you're watching Humphrey Bogart movies, I can almost imagine the the people selling gold and silver on, on cable and what they tell you and why you have to get it now, otherwise you'll, you know, you're going to die and the world's going to come to an end. So Fred is here. He's now, as since Andrew Goss uh, left us three years ago or so, or I don't even know how long it's been, uh, he has uh, rebooted his company. It's called U.S. Coin Capital. Good morning, Fred. Good morning. Good morning. Happy to be with you. Nice to be with you, sir. And um, yeah, you, you and Andrew kind of came up with that early on that you weren't going to do the fear thing and the world's going to crash and the dollar's going to crash so buy gold, right? You just... You, you know, I, yeah. the problem is, is we never believe that. Um, and I know that a lot of people in our industry have used that for a very long time. I mean, as long as I've been in this industry, uh, you know, at least every year, every other year, somebody has come out with a pretense for the world coming to an end. This year was particularly heavy. <laughs> And a lot of these predictions for September, which is now past, October, which is now past. And as I was speaking to people in early uh, August, they were saying that a lot of these, you know, uh, Internet web people were saying something dramatic is going to happen in September and something is going to happen in October. And we're not just talking about a market correction. We were talking about, you know, the dollar was going to implode. There was going to be this great global reset. Um, the world was going to come to an effective economic end. We would have natural disasters to the point where, you know, there would be uh, food shortages and riots on the streets. 
And I said to those people in August, I'll tell you what, we'll speak November 1st. And I assure you of two things. One, we'll all be here. And two, the world will still be spinning. And here we are. Here it's we November are. 2nd. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. How are you? I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing great. You know, there is some pretty weird things going on with um, um, diesel fuel and the food supply. You've been following that? I mean, it's, yes. it's pretty... Yes, uh, shortages suddenly with diesel, which is interesting because yeah. it was always promoted as the cheaper alternative <laughs> right. to to gasoline and, you know, more plentiful, and now suddenly that's become a, uh, an yeah. issue. Yeah, and of course, all trucks and trains and boats, and it's all diesel. So the food thing could get interesting next year if this is true, but these days, Fred, you don't know who to believe or what to believe, and, you know, people just make so much stuff up. Yeah, and listen, I don't want to dismiss the nature of the issues. No, and, I know. And again, I'd yeah. like to be clear about this, that, yeah. you know, I do understand uh, what raises the concerns uh, of a lot of these people, um, and a lot of them do illustrate uh, an issue or a scenario under which circumstances could get really dramatically bad very quickly. Um, the thing I just don't accept, and I haven't, and the reason I've never let's say, joined that ship uh, is because I never reached the conclusion that they do. And I think it's a rather large leap to jump from, yes, there's a fundamental problem or there's a huge problem to that reaching the conclusion that that translates into a complete economic disaster. That's where I differ. I think we diverge at that point. I absolutely accept the notion there are huge fundamental problems. Huge problem. <laughs> I think the Federal Reserve is facing an issue it's never seen before. We are in uncharted territory. Uh, the size of the economic numbers have gotten so large. I was trying to draw an analogy for somebody, and I said, you know, in the early days, this was sort of like the Fed riding a bicycle. You know, how much, how much power, how much physical force does it take to slow down a bicycle that's going full speed? And what's the worst possible scenario you can have? All right, you, you slam on the brakes on a bicycle, or what, maybe you fall forward over the handlebars, and, you know, okay, you, you might break an arm or something, but you're going to live. You're going to live. But what's happening now is the Fed is trying to drive, you know, an 80-ton semi-truck going 100 miles an hour, and that's our economy, and it's trying to slow it down. And it's it's saying it's going to do that either by slowly depressing the brakes or really hitting them hard. But, you know, you slam on the brakes on something moving that fast that weighs that much, it, it doesn't slow down right. It, you know, you're going to jacktail the thing. You're going to spin out of control. It could be really disastrous. And the problem has gotten so big that the Fed, when they try to intervene now, they have to use really dramatic actions to affect the size of the economy the slow depressing of a pedal brake on a bicycle isn't sufficient anymore to have any impact hmm. so let's talk about that so people understand so the fed has one thing in their toolbox and they have many i guess but the main thing is fred that they they raise the interest rates on the fed funds rate that's the that's the amount of um, interest that the federal reserve charges the banks is that correct they have the discount overnight window rate and overnight the funds rate. Window. Right. So they raise that, and, and then the banks have less money to loan out, in theory, or at higher prices. And the theory is, if I understand, that that slows things down. Because if you as your company go to the bank and say, it'll be a higher interest rate, and you say, well, let's wait, you know, or whatever. Is that the theory well, behind raising their interest rates? Sure. I mean, you know, you're able to borrow more money when it's cheap to do that right. and effectively use that money for all sorts of various uh, purposes. So, for example, um, we talked about this a few shows ago. 
how one of the side, uh, let's call it benefits, if you will, um, to the low interest rates was the ability of a lot of companies to buy their own stock. Which so they did. because money was available and so cheap, they could borrow the money for almost zero interest and use that money to prop up their own stock prices. And about, I'd say, 20 to 30% of the gains in stock prices the past two years hmm. have been directly associated with that action. Yeah, and that's that's what would be called a kind of false bubble in a way, right? If the companies are borrowing money and buying their own stock. It's a cheap way to raise the stock value, and it works for a while. But yeah. what happens is now that that game is over because the rates have gone up and we can't play that game anymore, the companies are now faced with reality of having to justify these new higher prices. So I was I was very concerned uh, about five or six months ago that once rates started going up and this game ended, that we would see a significant correction in stock prices of companies that had done this. And sure enough, 20 or 30 percent have come off the top of these companies in a heartbeat some of them have dropped as much as 50 percent in value because they can't justify these new uh mm -hmm. high prices that they achieve by you know this manipulation there have been mm -hmm. i i think it is unintended consequences the fed did not think about when they lowered rates to zero one of them has been the the result ha that it's had on the third world nations who owe money in U.S. dollars. Yes. Now that interest rates are going up, they're getting crushed to have to repay loans in dollars that are now super strong against their currencies, and it's causing oh. devastation. Yeah, the let's world. think about that. So, say just just pick somebody just for fun, Venezuela, and they've they have to buy dollars to pay back loans from the IMF and, and other places that they get in dollars. Is that? Right? Goldman Sachs and all the big investment banks that bailed them out time after I time see. after time. So even so the banks will go time. into a country and loan them money. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. The big investment banks have been participating in bailing out foreign countries for decades, but it got really big in the 90s. And as they followed through, as these loan repayments came due, a lot of countries couldn't make the repayments. Uh -huh. So what they did is they refinanced and refinanced the second and third and fourth time. And basically rolled the debt over, maybe added more interest, but reduced the current payment due so that they could survive. Or in other cases, literally turned over the profits that the company made through the countries made through their various uh, infrastructure. Like they may have turned over their oil reserves. They may have sold off um, production processes to the investment banks or to the IMF in order to justify their ability to try to repay. But what they, I don't think the Fed counted on how devastating the rising dollar was going to be to these third world countries because you know when the dollar gets stronger around the world it's really good for you and and me if we want to go travel sure we get a much stronger dollar so our dollar goes farther in europe and asia and around the world but if you're there and you have to repay these loans in a now stronger dollar it's just it's just adding more problem to that massive amount of debt and it's creating a lot of volatility in these third world countries that we haven't experienced before. And according to the IMF, about 40 countries are teetering on, you know, an absolute economic disaster. And I don't think the Fed intended to do this. I think this is an unintended consequence of their raising of interest rates in America to slow down our economic inflation problems. But I mean, they understand this system. They'd have, they would have to know that, right? I mean, come on. I mean, they're pretty smart guys, I, right? <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> I, I think their concern was focused on the U.S. and not the after effect of what would happen. You know, the cascading 
uh, you know, uh, domino effect. I think they focused on the fundamental domestic problem, which is inflation is running out of control in America, and we have to fight that. How do we fight that? We raise interest rates to slow the economy down. The problem I'm finding, though, is that they may have some success, and they are successfully slowing economic activity, but they're not necessarily slowing down the price increases. Right. And that's a new problem. Yeah, so, that's what I want to talk about now. So so we have, uh, you know, you go in the store and everything is more, especially meat. I eat a lot of, wow, I mean, it's, it's crazy what they're charging. Um, so explain to us how the dollar can be so strong when we have all these issues. What's, yeah, yeah, it seems a little counterintuitive. It does, weird, so, right? <laughs> it's weird. Relatively speaking, the dollar is not stronger domestically. Our dollar has gotten weakened by the inflation. Oh, because the it massive. takes more to buy more stuff, to, to buy stuff. Absolutely. Gotcha. We've had a much weaker dollar for you and I in terms of the real reality of what we get when we spend money. Right. Everything that we do costs more. Labor costs more. You know, if you go to an auto body shop, if you go to a consumer product store, no matter what you're doing, your dollar is not going as far as it used to. It right. costs you more to do everything. If you've had any work done on your home, any repair work done, any kind of infrastructure work, whatever it is you're trying to do, and think about this on a national scale, this is true across the board for the for the country, everything we're trying to do, but as individuals, we are certainly experiencing it from everything from supermarket prices right down to you know, the small labor that we have to all use. So as consumers, the dollar is very weak, but it looks strong to everybody else around the world, right? Because the rest of the world, as weird as it may seem, in relative terms, is far worse off than we are. Oh, okay. So, (laughs) for example, Hmm. um, the Eurozone is experiencing a solid 10% inflation, annual annual 10% inflation rate right now. 10, wow. 10%. Now, we are experiencing, according to the Federal Reserve, about 8.5%. You know, again, they'll discount that here and there, but the numbers in Europe are worse. And the European economy is not moving forward because the consumers there are not spending as rapidly as they are here domestically. People are still spending money in the United States. They know that they're paying more. But it hasn't stopped them from spending money. They want stuff. So the, they, they want stuff. They, they want stuff. They want to keep buying stuff. They want. They need the repairs on their homes or whatever is going on. Yeah. All these things still have to happen. Yeah. So we're spending money, which means our economy is moving along. There's a lot of flow of cash going through the economy. That's not happening in Europe. It's almost stagflation there now, and it's even worse in Asia, where they're in a lockdown because they've had another outbreak and. Things have slowed down, for example, in China, the second largest economy on earth, to the point where they slow down. All those companies in America that sell products to China are getting less product sales because China has slowed down. Europe has slowed down. So all these worldwide companies that sell not only domestically but sell around the world are seeing a massive slowdown in their ability to sell products Mm -hmm. when entire countries are slowing their economies to a stall so what happens is if you're an investor outside the u.s and you're looking at your own country and saying well we have high inflation but the interest payments we get from our government is too low where else can we put our money and we look around the world and you know we look under this sheet and under that sheet and try to find something is there some safe haven out there and then we look at the united states and say well okay 
I could buy a 10-year note from the government that pays 4%. It's not negative. It's 4%. It's still less than the inflation rate, but it is a positive yielding uh, return. And it seems safer than leaving the money in Europe, Asia, or one of these third world countries right. where they're going the wrong way. They're going negative. So mm. by default, the money pours into the U.S. And what happens? The dollar begins to look really strong against these world currencies. So let me see. When it pours in, the dollar gets stronger. But why would it get stronger if there's more dollars out there? Well, they're buying goods and services of the U.S. They're okay. Buying they're buying stuff. They're buying stuff. And they're buying United States products. So mm. they're and they're buying things that pay interest here in the US. So domestically we're getting an increase in demand for US bonds and treasuries, uh, bank yields, anything that can produce any kind of positive return, it looks better to a foreign investor than keeping the money in their own country. So by default, you know, we've used the analogy that the US dollar is the cleanest dirty shirt in the right. laundry. Right. That is basically the case. It's getting dirtier and dirtier, but relative to the other shirts in the laundry, <laughs> it's still the better option. And only by that default has the dollar gotten stronger. By the way, uh, maybe I go out on a limb here a little bit. Sorry. I think the dollar rally that we've seen is coming to an end. Yeah, it feels I like I think it. we may Doesn't have already peaked, but I do believe that I think we saw 115 on that dollar index at one point. Now, what is it, um, 111? Let me check real quick. About 111 now. Today. Yeah. Uh, it, that does, it's not going to go straight down. It never does. But I think if we look in the next six months back at today, I think we're going to come and see that we were pretty peaked at the dollar's relative strength. I think that's coming to an end, which means that gold is going to get much more expensive again going forward in dollar terms. Because when the dollar goes down the index – Traditionally, gold and silver spot prices go up. Right. Exactly. Go and up. that's the reason that gold and silver have dipped in the past four or five months. The dollar's been was on yeah. the back of this dollar strengthening. And again, it's not that you know anything has changed. It's that gold has gotten cheaper in dollar terms. Now, if you're in Europe, it's gotten much more expensive to buy gold in euros hmm. or Chinese. Oh, that's right, because they're going down. Yeah. yeah, they're going down. So from their point of view, gold has gotten more expensive. Domestically, gold looks cheaper in dollar terms, but the real value has really not changed. And this is sort of a, a, a false sort of market activity. It has created an option for people to be able to buy gold a little cheaper than normal. And a lot of people have been taking advantage of it this last few months, which I think has been a very smart play because I do believe this is coming to an end. Mm. So uh, the Gov says it's about 8%. Uh, there's a lot of people out there, including Shadow Stats, you know, John Williams, pretty smart guy, more like 12 to 15. I would suspect he's more correct, but I don't know. Yeah, we know that the I don't do those numbers. a lot of manipulation yeah. right, to cook those books. Um, right. They had to pay out these colas this month, and I yeah, know that they didn't like that. The cost of living increases. They hold back on writing those additional checks to people that get government benefits they're supposed to adjust these benefits based on inflation. So, you know, if millions and millions of Americans get government benefits and the inflation rate goes up, all those people need to get more money from the government. That adds to the government's deficit problem. So the government has a vested interest to try to make people believe that the inflation is lower than it really is so that it doesn't have to give as much in these cost of living increases so that it can curtail the expense. But Reality, I think, is sort of catching up to them, and they've been forced to pay out more. 
So uh, government checks that went out this month have shown uh, a, a good stiff increase. Well, I think it was 2%. Oh, is it already started already? I thought the big increase goes in January, no? I, I think they started the okay. first increases, and I think the checks will go out. Probably, you're right, uh, I think it'll be December or January when people start seeing those. But the government has, has basically <laughs> acknowledged it's making that change, and it's already adjusting to these newer numbers. Here, speaking of spin, here's a tweet from the White House this morning. You like this guy. Seniors are getting the biggest increase in their Social Security checks in 10 years through the uh, President Biden leadership. Now, wow. Whoa. I mean, come on. Tell folks why that spin. Well, because <laughs> what did they have in the past 10 years that we're comparing this to? It's the biggest increase in 10 years. What did they have 10 years ago? Zero. What did they have nine years ago? Zero. And, you know, if they got a 0.001% increase in the past decade, that was a lot. So the fact that they're going to get a 2% increase now, yes, it's the largest increase in 10 years. Does that really compensate for the current inflation rate that people are really experiencing? Well, yeah, uh, they're nonsense. forced to give the increase because they got inflation and rising prices. It's not a gift. And they can't deny it. <laughs> no, it's not a gift. It's got they got to do it. I guess it's right. baked in the cake, right? It's kind of their cola thing they do. Well, again, this has always been the reason uh, that we used to allude to the idea that the government had an interest in cooking the books. <laughs> uh, they don't want to actually have to pay out COLA increases on real rates of inflation. Yeah, that huge. would cost the government just billions upon billions of dollars that they don't have. So they constantly are trying to squish down those inflation numbers and hide it any way they can through whatever manipulation they have to come up with so that you know, the retired people get their minimal little cost increases, but uh, it keeps the government expense down. And then they can go out and tout, oh, this is the biggest increase you've seen in a decade. Well, okay. I don't think anybody's going to argue that, but okay. it's not as if that's compensating for the rate of inflation. That's insane. And Andrew taught us, as you know, years ago, that there's no real assets in the trust fund. It's just IOUs. So it, all of the Social Security payments coming out of taxes 1040s you know they they did that uh, unified budget what back in 65 with johnson and i think the i think it's about close to 400 billion dollars a year now just right out of 1040s it's right up there man wow and it's getting worse yeah. because of the aging of america we now have a, a right. contrary environment that didn't exist in even the early late 90s and early 2000s at one point in America, we had five or six employees contributing to Social Security for every one person that was taking money out. Five to one. Mm -hmm. And by the late 90s, we were almost even, and now we've crossed the line. We now have more people withdrawing from Social Security than are contributing. And a lot of people predicted that the moment that happened, that Social Security would implode. Uh, I suggested at that point that the government would simply print their way out of that problem, and that's exactly what they've been doing. They just ever borrow since. the money to do the stuff, right? They borrow the money. That's it. One way or the other, they make those checks good, and they send the checks out. Oh yeah, they I don't think they'll default on those. But where's the money coming from? And if we're printing our way out of all these huge economic problems, and again, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier: the size of the problem has changed. It is significant now because the debt the government is carrying represents more than the entire output of the nation's GDP. And again, that's an unsustainable uh, environment. You can't continue to spend more money than every dollar the country produces. It doesn't leave you anything for any other uh, purpose. 
and the government has a lot of other purposes. So printing their way out of the problem for Social Security and, and the 170 other pension account funds that the government's responsible for has become the default position. This is detrimental to the average American because if the government continues to print money for each economic problem that persists, these dollars that we're spending are perpetually going to get weaker. Well, whether or not they may look relatively strong against the rest of the world is really not a strong argument for sustaining a U.S. dollar as part of your portfolio anymore. So here we are, um, whatever the interest rate is, let's just call it 10 for fun, uh, split the difference between the real geeks and, and uh, the gov. So, Fred, do you see any anything in the next six to a year where this uh, prices would come down? Would there be any reason for that to happen? That the current, even if well, they keep raising interest rates, would it happen? There is a possibility they could slow the economy enough to where that may have some impact. But the problem that persists is that price increases are not only coming from an inflationary issue. There are a lot of other things at play here. Supply you know, chains. Got worldwide yeah. geopolitical events. You've got what's happening in Ukraine, which is causing interruptions in, you know, the oil processing. And uh, obviously, energy is a huge factor in a broad economy because it filters through to everything. You know, if the cost to truckers goes up because diesel fuel prices are increasing, even if inflation slows down, that cost is going to get passed along. Oh, yeah. If wage prices have to keep going up because people are already saying, if we have not had wage increases in the past year or two, we are so far behind the curve that if we were barely making it two years ago, we're certainly not making ends meet now. And right. we need more money. Yeah. We need to get paid more. Well, the company's going to have to pay more. It's going to have to start charging more for its products and services. So a lot of the problems the Fed is facing, I don't think can necessarily be resolved simply by slowing the economy by raising interest rates. And if we're experiencing rising prices, while the inflation is still visible and the economy is slowing, that's not good. now you get that stagflation that everybody's worried about. And that is a dangerous economic environment where you have no economic activity, no economic growth, but prices are still increasing. Now, if you're the Fed, what do you do? Well, that's what happened in the 70s, right? With during Jimmy Carter. Exactly and and when gold went all the way to, what, 850, and then interest rates went to about, what, what was it, 14 or 15? At the end? 16, yeah. 16%. I mean, at one point, people were paying 16, 17% mortgage rates. Um, you know, that seemed like, uh, I can't well, imagine. it was appropriate at the time, yeah. but yeah. Well, what would your house payments you know, be at, at 15%? Holy cow. Compared to 4 or 5%, yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And obviously, that priced a lot of people out of the real estate market, and there were effects. You know, I think a lot of people forget how massive the period between 1971 and 73 was for the United States. Yeah. We are still feeling the impact. Because the response from the rest of the world, when the dollar began to implode, because Nixon had removed the gold and silver standard, and the rest of the world viewed the dollar with suspicion at that point, and were aggravated that they'd been forced to hold U.S. dollars for so long, and now they were being told that this stockpile of gold-backed and silver-backed money was no longer gold or silver-backed, it was simply now fiat, um, you know, we had a massive impact around the world from that change, including, of course, the eventual oil embargo. This was the response that came out of the oil production companies that, mm -hmm. you know, especially OPEC, who said, well, wait a minute, you've been forcing us to sell oil in dollars. You've been forcing us to stockpile dollars. Now we're getting paid in these unbacked dollars. I don't we're not so. happy with that. <laughs> Guess what? We're going to cut the production of oil and 
you know, and force your hand. So there was a worldwide impact. And, you know, it devastated the economy in the United States. It forced the Fed to take drastic actions. They raised interest rates and raised interest rates. And eventually the inflation rate went crazy and the dollar's value plummeted. And like I said, gold went from at one point $35 an ounce to 100 to 850 in a matter of less than a decade. Wow. So, so let's see. So, but they were raising interest rates and it was doing nothing to the inflation, correct? It wasn't enough. So okay. they kept raising them, they kept raising, raising them, and raising them until eventually they got to that point by 1978. They'd really cranked them to that high level. Uh, it would eventually peak around 79. And that's about the point at which, you know, at 18% or 17% interest, people finally said, okay, I can't borrow any more money at this pace. I can't afford to make these payments. So it had the intended result, slowing the economy down mm -hmm. and eventually it cracked the inflation enough to where things began to settle down. So if you squeeze the, you know, the money supply tight enough, you can bring it, an economy to its knees. You know, it's like holding a gun to somebody's head. You can drop them to the floor. And effectively, this is what the Fed did. It held the gun to the head of the economy and said, look, you're going to borrow money. You're going to pay through the nose. So how did that get it out of it? I mean, what did what did Reagan do and all those guys in, in 80 when he came in? How did they get it back going again? How did they what, what did they do? Well, once. Once the rate cracked, yeah. you know, once they got to the point where the economy finally slowed I give. down, enough, I give. Right. I give. inflation dissipated right, right. because the economy slowed down and it caused a slow enough economic activity to where prices began to drop back to more normal levels mm -hmm. and rates began to slowly come down. And the Fed was able to take its foot off the brake slowly and, and allow interest rates to drift downward to get more more functioning economic activity going again. Reagan faced a very interesting problem. Now... He was at the point where the government debt and all of these interest payments and all this inflation flowing through the economy left them in kind of a position to where they had one of two choices. They either could slam on the brakes on the economy and continue to drive these rates back down low, but they were afraid that that recession that they caused would be worse. The other option was step on the gas pedal and through government spending, try to stimulate economic activity again by throwing money into the economy through government programs that would allow the economy to speed forward without having to increase the money supply directly. And they knew that that would cause a lot of long-term debt because the government had to borrow the money in order to make all those programs work, but it would solve the short-term problem. And Reagan decided option B, instead of slamming on the brakes, screeching the economy to a halt, effectively ripping the band-aid off of the wound and dealing with the economic problem he decided to go long route and spend 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 through government spending to move an economy forward knowing that he was going to blow out the deficits for future generations but again his concern was his short-term problem yeah his political issue during the time he was president not worrying about what was going to happen to the next guy that followed him. And that's the choice that they made. And again, we're still paying for that. So I heard you say something like, well, they were doing government programs, but it's not inflationary. But it is. Isn't it, Fred, if they borrow the money from the Fed that creates the money and then they spend it on government programs, isn't that inflationary? It is, uh, except okay. it's inflationary that shows up later down the road as opposed to infusing cash right into the economy from the Fed, like when they buy bonds, 
that's a direct infusion of cash right into the economy. It's like a, you know, an injection right into your arm. It goes directly into the bloodstream right away. So what the government spending does is it creates inflation, but it doesn't show up immediately. I see. It's sort of delayed for a few years, and it will show up eventually because of the added amount of debt the government has taken on. It's eventually going to have to deal with that, but it doesn't show up right away. Hmm. So again, it's well understood that that's the case. So politically, you know, if you're in power and I say to you, Patrick, you can have option A, you can look great right now by releasing government spending and your economy is going to look terrific, but you're going to create a lot of debt 10 years out, or you can slow the economy to next to nothing and have everybody in the country hate you because the economy is in the toilet, but you haven't created any more inflation and you've actually addressed more of the current economic problem. Politically, you're probably going to pick the first option, which is the expediency of making everybody happy by letting the government right, spend money right. and create an economy that moves forward, and that's what they did. Now, as these interest rates are going up, we're starting to see reports, Fred, around the country where uh, property prices are coming down. They're beginning, they must have peaked, right, at the low end? Yeah, I think so. They're uh, coming down. You should get a slowing economic environment in, in real estate particularly, which is obviously... Uh, very sensitive to the interest rate market because like we talked about those mortgage payments it, it's dramatically different if you're paying eight ten twelve percent on a mortgage you know versus three four or five percent you know those monthly payments are significantly Huge. different yeah, and big difference. price people out of a market very quickly and of course the real estate market had been running like crazy um, you know coming into the past couple of years to a point where it was getting a little insane I yeah. mean here locally <laughs> You know, I watched the property come up for sale, a buyer come in and buy it, relist it without doing a thing, add $50,000 more to the price. It would resell. The second buyer would do exactly the same wow. thing, simply relist the property for more money, and it would sell a third time. And when a market starts doing that, you know you're at a peak. It's just, it's unsustainable. Right. So the real estate market was due for, um, uh, you know, a little bit of breath, a little bit of breathing room to let off a little steam. And that was appropriate. And that has definitely begun to happen around here. And from what I've heard anecdotally from people around the country, it's been the same experience that they're seeing the rest of the country. So um, if you had a magic, um, well, if you want a game show, I had to guess, do you think we're going to get to that 15 thing before this thing slows? Do you have any theories uh, on the interest rates? The 15 thing, you mean interest in, rates in, going yeah, up that yeah. high? No. You know, uh, I don't think the Fed will let it go that far. In fact, today they're supposed to announce their rate hike uh, I think they'll do the three quarters of a, of a point again today to 0.75. Um, most of the economists and Wall Street analysts believe this may be the last three quarter percent rate hike, that the next one would be only a half a point. They may down. slow down the rate at which they are increasing interest because they're beginning to feel that there's been some help already to, for what they've done. Again, the problem is, is the Fed is trying to create the... <laughs> The soft landing, you know, the raise the rates enough to slow the economy down, to slow inflation, but not too much to put that, you know, that 18 wheeler into a tailspin. You know, can you depress the brakes enough when it's doing 100 miles an hour to slow it down carefully or do you press it a little bit too much and send the thing into a tailspin? It's a real tricky game that they're playing, but I don't think rates are going to get much higher than they are now. I'm looking at the Fed's balance sheet. So last week, they dumped 19 billion somehow, but then this week they bought 162 billion of stuff. 
you know so yeah yeah and so they're just they're just buying what they need to buy right if people need to sell it they'll buy it i guess well they have no choice but they continue to sell bonds because the government has to raise money and that's how they do that i think people are forgetting though that the fed is also trying to unwind its balance sheet simultaneously and it's created a few problems for some of the bond sales they had a two-year auction that um, you know, my, one of my fun, well, my favorite guys that's on one of the financial channels, uh, he reports on the bond sale and he, he grades them like a school right. teacher would. You know, at A means it was a really successful bond auction and heavily participated to where the Fed didn't have to step in. And mm-hmm. he said the last bond sale, he gave it a D minus. So, you know, they're trying to sell $40 billion worth of two-year notes and they got pathetic response. So nobody wanted them. The problem is, is you know, the Fed is pushing on a rope it's trying to sell its own debt at the same time the government has such a huge need to raise more money it's also trying to raise money by selling bonds and i think the competition um, is forcing problems and that's going to continue if the fed is going to attempt to reduce its balance sheet at the same time the government is trying to raise money through bond sales it's really problematic and again (laughs) this is uncharted territory we've never had an economy that is try to operate under these parameters. And I don't think anybody can honestly say they know how this is going to play out because we've never tried to do all this stuff simultaneously. We've never Hmm. tried to raise rates to fight off inflation, have a Federal Reserve try to unwind trillions. Uh, 8.7 this morning trillion. 8.7. 8.7. And the government that's trying to raise money at a faster pace than ever before because it's spending more than ever before. How do you do all these things simultaneously and have an economy function without any kind of hiccups? You can, huh? So I would expect volatility is going to be a real problem. And I think we have learned one thing, I think, again. So I say we've learned this. We should have learned this lesson before. Those people that have been diversifying their wealth are doing much better than those that didn't do that ahead of time. Those people that stuck with the stock market and had all of their retirement accounts, people have been getting their accounting reports the past two or three quarters and have not been happy, you know, as they get account reports that show they're down 8%, another 8%, another 10%, another 12%. Their retirement accounts are dissipating, you know, quarter after quarter. So those people that added like physical gold and silver or diversified their wealth, they're far better off than the people who stuck with only the equities, the paper investments. And I think going forward, it's becoming much more important for people to have a diversified portfolio. It's the best you can do so that no matter what might happen in the future, we at least are covered by having more than one asset class. So uh, and even if you don't make a lot with buying something and then trying to sell three years later, which you don't recommend, you're not losing money with gold and silver, right? And you're, At least you're sustaining, you're, and you're not counting on something that definitely is going down rapidly. Right. You know, again, imagine if you had invested in the typical high-flying stocks the past couple of years that had gone up, and you're getting a 50% haircut. I mean, I do believe eventually these stocks will recover. Most of these are big, you know, international companies, and they're not going away. I don't think we're going to lose any of these companies to this economy, but how long is it going to take? I lost your audio. Or a oh, company yeah. that drops 50% in its stock value to get back. How long would it, it take to get back? Years? Yeah. Is it going to be 10 years? And Yeah, and what about the people that are retired that don't have a 10 or 15-year time frame? I mean, look, if you're 30 years old and you just lost 30 or 40% of the value of your retirement account, you've got time. You've got time to let that come back. 
but you're 60, 70 years old. And, you know, again, if you're already retired and have no new income and all you get is what you earn on your investments in return, mm -hmm. then it's critical that you don't lose principal value. And again, I think diversification is the safest thing that anybody can do because we just can't know what actions the Fed is going to come up with next uh, to gimmick the economy to try to save off all these kinds of problems they've created. But I haven't noticed the stock market going down that much. So am I missing something of why these retirement accounts could be going down? Hasn't well, it stayed around 30,000 like the Dow? The Dow, but look at a lot of the individual stocks that people hold. Uh, okay. um, look how much they've come down. Yeah. So the Dow as a whole has been relatively stable. It's down just a little bit, but on a percentage basis, uh, a lot of the high-flying stocks have lost quite a bit. High-flying would be, what kind are you talking about? Well, give us a few names. Oh, you know, like the Teslas, the Intels, you know, all the technology Meta. companies. Meta. <laughs> yeah, all Meta. Poor old Zuck. He only lost about $40 billion last week or something. Crazy. Like, yeah, I think Mr. Zuckerberg, poor Mr. Zuckerberg, here's my, my tiny violin. Yeah, uh, I know, yeah, I, know. I understand. <laughs> he lost $75 billion in his, in his net worth in the last, you know, six months. And so he's gone from the second or third richest person down to, oh, he's in the top 20 now. Now we're so in the top do 20. Do I feel bad for him? <laughs> no. That was a pretty dumb idea. I think everybody wanted to do meta, you know, a virtual thing, but. Well, again, you know, Nobody wanted. we'll know in 10 years, uh, you know, whether he was right or wrong about that. But in the meantime, boy, if you were an investor in his stock, ouch, um, yeah. that's a haircut. Yeah. Here's an uh, email from Trudy. Thanks for having Fred on. So what does he think is going to happen will be different for we consumers if the conservatives, the Republican Party, do well next week? Um, that's a good question. You know, do you think it'll affect us peoples at all? Well, I always find that there's minimal impact from regime changes. <laughs> so I like the way you put that. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's what it is, right? So, you know, we change presidents. We change political parties. And there are things that change. Uh, you know, clearly there are differences in the way that the two different parties that we have to choose from deal with the economic environment. But for the most part, it seems like the economy moves whether or not Democrats are in power or Republicans are in power. Right. And nothing really changes except for some, you know, intermediate short-term decisions that are made of how to address economic issues. Sometimes they're better than others, and sometimes they may have more of a short-term positive impact for the public. I, I just don't expect on the big picture, regardless of who comes out ahead after the elections, that we're going to significantly see any fundamental changes that um, um, would say that, oh my goodness, we need to make sure that X gets elected or Y gets elected because that will make all the difference in the world. I just don't believe it's that significant. It's never happened. Well, I mean, couldn't it be argued, though, that if the borders could get closed and that could help wages go up if there's less people working for less money, which happens with all the illegal immigrants, right? Uh, sure. Also, less money to go into Ukraine, possibly, which would be better for us people who use dollars. That could be one Oh, thing. there's no question that there are definitely things. some options yeah. that are out there that, that can make some impacts. Um, you know, but you don't think anything big is what you're, you're talking, Fred. Something, I, I just don't expect yeah. anything fundamentally that's going to be that dramatic. Hmm. I mean, the biggest change that I've seen 
from a political standpoint, happened when Trump became president. Hmm. Because he did things that were quite different from his predecessors. Uh, he had a different outlook on the way to approach the economy. And he did make substantive changes that had an impact for the average American. Um, and again, but short-term impacts. Long-term, the government deficits kept climbing. The amount of government spending kept going up. The inflation problem didn't dissipate. The printing of unbacked money didn't change. So some things continued in the background, while in the foreground, things appeared a little bit better, and maybe they were. So it's not as if the political parties have zero impact, but I think on the long-term you know, prospect, I just don't put a lot of credence in the ability of a change in regime to have that much of a dramatic impact to affect the general public's wealth. Hmm. So, um, Trump... Um, I think the bigger impact would become changing the Fed. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, good luck with that. So, but but Trump, well, he was a big spender, right? I mean, he spent just as much as every anybody else, did he not? He did. He just did it differently. Um, he did it differently. And, and the way that he did it created, created jobs and created a lot of activity well, in the economy. Well, that's good. That's good. It is good. Again, it's like Reagan... It's great short term, but it also costs us a lot on the back end. Like, for so example, the Trump's policies. Well, for example, you know, if you if you spend money that we don't have for, let's say, an infrastructure uh, economic environment bill, and a wall say, or okay, whatever, we're gonna, whatever. Yeah, we're going to put X billions of dollars to work to rebuild bridges and roadways and things of that nature. So we're going to have to hire a bunch of people. Everybody who, you know, makes concrete and and does all the road work and they're all going to benefit from it and a lot of people are going to go to work and and lots of activity is going to happen and this is all great but the borrowing costs of all that eventually come back to haunt us because it just gets added to the big amount of debt the government's carrying and eventually we have to deal with it so again there's a lot of short-term things that can be done by a president or a congress but in the long term nobody has come up with any plan i don't think it exists uh, again, I'm not the smartest guy on the street. I mean, there are guys that, you know, are brilliant who have not come up with a plan for how you can move an economy forward without creating too much inflation, somehow deal with the $32 trillion worth of current debt that we are carrying, and address all these issues to a point where, you know, we don't upset the economic activity and people somehow are better off in the future than they are today. That is a game plan that is becoming more and more elusive you know, again, because of the size of the problem. That, that's it's because of the amount so of debt, now. the amount of debt and the imbalances with everything, right? And uh, how much it represents in terms of the gross domestic product. You know, when Reagan was hmm. president, the government def, debt relative to the GDP, I think it was between 25 and 32% of GDP. The Today, debt. it's 112% of GDP. Oh, you mean the so, total debt uh, in, during Reagan in 80 was 32% of the GDP, and today's what? It's 110 or 112 percent. How can that? So we're spending more money, uh, you know, on an annual basis than the country is producing. That is unsustainable. That's the equivalent of you earning, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year and spending a hundred and ten thousand dollars a year on expenses. It doesn't leave you any room for savings or anything else. And you're spending all your money to pay your bills. You have no room for anything else that comes up. Yeah. What if you have a health hazard problem? Uh, a financial issue, uh, you need to loan money to a family member, something goes wrong with your home that you suddenly need to do some massive uh, renovation. 
you don't have the money if you're spending every dollar to finance your current debt. And this is the problem that the country has gotten into is we are blowing through money at an ever increasing pace because there's been no other choice except to face the reality that we're deficit spending and somebody has to play the game that Reagan chose not to, which is slam on the economic brakes and bring this thing to a screeching halt to stop us from spending the money. But then you end up with a massive recession or stagflation and no one's going to like that. Politically, it is political suicide. The easier way to deal with this is to, one way or the other, finance your debt long enough term to where it doesn't show up while you're president and it gets left on the lap of the guy who comes after you, but again, not your problem. Well, it's not good. It's not, well, isn't that an argue, argument for this, some kind of a, just quote, great reset, unquote, to happen because this thing is not sustainable? I mean, could something weird big happen through the IMF and well, World Economic I, Forum I, and all these people? I suppose it, it could. Again, everything is a possibility, but how likely is it is what I, I get down to. And I don't see it very likely. Uh, a full reset, and I'm not really sure what that really means. Nobody, you know, what are you going to do? You're yeah. going to one day turn around and say the dollar is X against the world's currency and now it's going to be different? Mm-hmm. We're simply going to change it arbitrarily? Is everybody going to accept that? How does that work? How does that really filter its way through a, a moving I economy? I understand. Um, you know, it's a gimmick. Uh, and again, I, I, it works if you're a small country and, you know, perhaps your economy is more internal. You're not a worldwide player. But the dollar is a worldwide player. I mean, 80% of all transactions in the world are still done in U.S. dollars. So I don't see a reset as a real likely possibility. You know, it's always an option that's out there. It's something that exists. It's something that, although possible, I, again, I, I rank things in terms of probability. Anything is possible, but how likely is it to happen? An asteroid can come hit the Earth tomorrow. Yeah. That is a possibility. How likely is it, though? Probably The not. sun is going to rise tomorrow. Yeah. Possibility. How likely is it? Well, I give that about 100% likelihood. <laughs> Probably. You know? So, but, I, you know, the, the Great Reset people are arguing that this thing is so screwed up that what they're going to do is crash it and then do the digital thing and just give people, you know, you lost your pension fund, so we're just going to give you digits, and you'll be fine, you know. Sure, and everybody would just stand for that without any issue. Oh, no, no, they wouldn't stand for it, no. They'd be, they'd be fighting in the streets, I, I, you know. I, don't. I, I find all that very unlikely. Yeah. I think it is much more politically expedient to continue what we're doing now, which is just create money in the background. Most people are, are so far behind the curve in, in recognition. They don't understand what, what we're talking about. So they that, don't get it anyway. That goes and back I don't to, blame people for that. No, you know, no. It's yeah, not their yeah. fault. I, that goes back to Andrew's premise, which is I've always loved, was you know, they only, they're just not going to run out of zeros. You know, that's pretty right. much pretty much it, right? He's He's been he's right so far, right? He's been right so far. Would you have believed trillions of dollars even 10 or 15 years no. ago would have seemed absurd? I know. You know, now we throw around trillions in almost every conversation about the economy. If they say something is a billion dollars, I mean, nobody even blinks. <laughs> it's just not, it doesn't phase anybody anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, it's 10 billion or what? Well, I'm like, we're talking about billions. I'm sorry, that's a huge number. And now we're talking about trillions. Trillion? Yeah. You know, as if we have a grasp on the vastness of that number and how insanely large it is. And this has been my my issue recently is what the Fed is trying to address. 
is again, you know, it's an 80,000 pound semi truck doing 100 miles an hour, trying to somehow sustain keeping it on the road and slowing it down without jackknifing it. And I, hmm. it, it's getting hard. It's so getting hard. And, you, you're and arguing then the only thing that's going to happen is more inflation. Not only more inflation, but I think much more volatility. In other words, I think the reactions to Fed actions, <laughs> reactions to their actions, <laughs> are going to be much more dramatic because the, the size of the numbers are bigger. Because the numbers are bigger. There's no, there's no small, you know, intervention. Like if you're in a boat and you got the rudder and you slightly adjust it, you're going to change the direction the boat is going. You know, you can do those little minor corrections. We, we don't have that option anymore. Minor corrections are not good enough. So the Fed has got to intervene at a much bigger level now. And their interventions have been massive. I mean, we can't forget, like, our quantitative easing, for example, was an enormous step of a central bank. It was not a minor correction of an economic environment. It was a massive intervention. Hmm. And this is what the Fed actions take now in order to have any impact. They have to have massive, massive impact in the economy to have any kind of impact at all. And this is going to continue to create volatility. And one misstep, you know, and that truck is off the road. It's just going down, you know, going down the side of a mountain. Uh, it's out of control. And that's what concerns me more than anything else. What would that look like for us, us, us peeps, us dollar users? Well, what would that look like? The dollar spinning out of control and everybody losing faith. Because I still wow. believe that we are operating on a faith system. Sure. You know, since the gold and silver standard is gone, what's happening is is that you and I believe in the dollar, you know, and we believe in its value, otherwise we wouldn't hold them. If I didn't believe that the dollar was going to be worth anything in the future, I would be divesting myself of dollars and buying any physical asset I can get my hands on. Right. As long as the faith persists, we can keep the game going. But what if that faith is cracked? Hmm. What if the confidence of the general public is diminished to where they just no longer feel safe holding dollars? They're going to look for another way to hold their value. And if foreign currencies are off the table, because they're already coming to us as a last resort, where do we go? Where do Americans go? So I look at gold and silver as the only thing left standing in the end. It's a real physical asset that cannot be diminished through inflation. So it stands as real money, and it's the reason it provides so much wealth protection for the public. And the reason you've been in it for 35 years, right? Because you've, you've, exactly. you've had this idea your whole life, you, you and Andy. I still don't see anything that's changed. Well, that I mean, it's hard to uh, argue you know, against it, right? I mean, we know it's the only real money around, right? look at the purchasing power i mean you know <clears throat> five silver quarters in 1964 the last year that we made them yeah. was one hour's wage the dollar and 25 cents was an hourly wage enough to provide a family of four with an income that would give them enough money to buy all the food and expenses for a home and actually put away a little money for savings that's crazy a couple of family vacations. that's crazy one dollar and 25 cents today five silver quarters is roughly about 30 bucks or so in in value hmm. so the purchasing power of five silver quarters at 30 dollars an hour today would be a wage that would sustain a family of four you know not in great shape but it would certainly take care of most people's expenses and bills to where they could survive that's real money so the value that's of the real power money 
Wow. And exactly. one of my faves is I can remember when I was in high school, uh, gas was 25 cents a gallon. I remember that. Mm-hmm. That's a silver quarter. Today, that's worth, what, $6, $5? Six bucks. Six bucks. You got maybe two gallons of gas. Exactly. The purchasing power has not Come diminished on. over time. Well, think about that. Yeah. One little quarter, and you got two right. gallons of gas. Right. You know, I remember scrambling change out of the backseat of my car not right. to get gas to go to the beach. You know, I needed, if I could come up with 75 cents, I could get enough gas to get to the beach and back. You know, I mean, uh, obviously things have changed and the cost of things have gone up, relatively speaking. But this is the point, is what changes is the value of paper money. Hmm. And it's subject to dramatic change when it has no backing to it. And this is an unfortunate circumstance of, you know, I look back and I think about how did the public in the 19, early 70s allow this to occur? What were they thinking? Why did they not in mass march on Washington <laughs> Come on. and absolutely argue that this is, you know, completely wrong and this is, you know, detrimental to, well, we could say the same thing about what's happening now. How is the public standing here accepting the notion that the Fed is printing money and using quantitative easing and quantitative tightening and constantly intervening falsely into the economy? They're constantly manipulating the real economic environment in order to keep it sustainable under circumstances of massive government spending and printing of unbacked money. It's, it's just insane. And yet we accept the notion and we talk about what might happen if it backfires and the idea that we're going to move to digital currencies or that, right. you know, the economy's going to This is the conversation in 2022. It's, it's quite bizarre. People you know, just don't understand, Fred. They just don't understand. I mean, they just, they're just not, I don't know. I think we're a very it's small... It's a complicated game. You I'm know? sorry? We're not supposed to have to worry about this stuff. It's a very complicated game right. we're not supposed to have to worry about. You right. have your issues. You have your family. You have your job. You have your career. You have things you should be focused on. You should not have to worry that you earn money and that because you've saved it in the wrong form, that the value has been altered without your <laughs> knowledge or without your ability to, to affect that change. You're subject to the change without any possibility of interfering in, in, in its relative value for your future. That's wrong. That is not appropriate for a country hmm. to run an economy based upon environments that change the public wealth without their ability to effectively do anything about it. And we're in the hands of a government that has proven it cannot control its spending habits. And most countries, it's fair to say, Fred, run the same way, right? Almost all the they com- all do. They all yeah. do. They all do. Yeah. Boy, Japan's really going through it uh, as well now, and uh, some not too good predictions for what's going to happen with these people, and not enough energy to keep them warm in the EU with this pipeline thing. It's nuts, you know what's going on, man. Right. So you start <clears throat> adding geopolitical problems on oh, top of the economic on top problems. Of that? Right. And and you're going to get volatility. You're going to get lots of volatility. You're going to get, you know, things that just start cracking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like an earthquake hitting the foundation of a home. And, you know, it's just the cracks are going to show up in this room and that room. And maybe the foundation itself is cracked and crumbling. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's just no protection against it. And the only wealth protection I've ever found that's available for the average citizen is to recognize the flaw with paper money and not carry all of their, especially long-term uh, future money in that form of paper is subject to so much change. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good way to uh, 
morph into a little bit about your company and what you got going. So this is what you do for a living, right? And this is what you do for a living is buy and sell gold and silver coins, but just real American money, right? Just real American money made at the mint. You don't do bricks and bars and stuff like that, correct? Yeah, I've stayed away from the bricks and bars for two reasons. Uh, one, I've always loved the idea that Americans should have actual American money, legal constitutionally issued currency, and that's the gold and silver coins. Mm-hmm. And secondly, the government has interfered in the brick and bullion markets by regulating them because they found there was there were a lot of efforts of money launderers to use gold and silver uh, as a method of uh, filtering laundered money through illegal activities. So what they began to do to curtail that was to regulate those markets. So they require the dealers like myself, when someone sells me bullion products to file 1099Bs with internal revenue and provide a social security number from the person that is selling me Hmm. those products and to issue to the IRS a 1099 indicating the amount of the check I wrote to those people so that that all appears as income to them unless they can prove a cost basis so then they can subtract that and then the difference would be the income but i am under federal obligation to make those reportability requirements and also i have to follow any money laundering rules so much so that it's gotten to the point now where what they're telling me is that if a person sells me bullion product and it turns out the money they used to buy those products were came from some illegal resource and i've written a check to them to help them sell that product i have facilitated in money laundering schemes whoa. i am subject to criminal penalties in jail whoa. time whoa that's so not good. No. i choose not to get involved in anything hmm. that the government got itself that involved in so i stay away from the bullion the other thing about <clears> the bullion <throat> that never made sense to me was that especially now you know, some of the most popular bullion silver products, for example, are carrying premiums of 80 or 90% over their melt content, which is actually less than the premiums on old silver quarters and dimes and halves, which are not being uh, produced anymore. So I think the older coins make much more sense. There's a supply of them that is already locked and fixed in time. It cannot increase a single quarter. Whatever silver quarters are floating around out there today are all that will ever exist for every future generation mm. of Americans to come. Going forward, the next 10,000 years, we will never have another silver quarter than what is exa- available today. That fixed supply has had an interesting impact on their price. As the premium values they carry continues to grow, even when the price of silver itself, the price per ounce, Pretty flat. drifted yeah. down, yeah. the premiums on coins kept going up huh. because of a supply problem. Hmm. And because of that fixed supply, I believe they continue to be the best physical form of silver and or gold for people to acquire. Plus, they're legal constitutional U.S. money. Hmm. So how does it work when folks want to buy this silver? We have silver dimes, quarters, and halves, right? And silver dollars. Yeah. A pre, yeah. Pre, pre, pre-64, but pre-64. Well, pre-65 technically. So 1964 hmm. dated and earlier coins happened to have been made of silver. Hmm. That was the case from the 1790s until 1964. Wow. (laughs) After that, silver came out of the change, and that was the end. Uh, The exception was a 40% Kennedy half for four years, but except for that little uh, quirky little side deal there, silver came out of the U.S. coins in 1964. So anything dated 1964 
or earlier is silver. It's hmm. made out of actual silver. And I think that's the best way for people to acquire uh, their wealth protection, their physical silver and gold. If they don't want to get into the more fancy gardens and everything, it could be the pre-64. Oh, I think that's great, too. I yeah. mean, a lot of people have been acquiring rare individual coins. Uh, we've got some beautiful examples that we've been dealing with this year of really fabulous early gold pieces that are much more valuable than just the metal content they're made of. You know, I have available right now, I have, um, for example, it's a $5 gold coin, but it happened to have been minted in 1800. Hmm. So instead of something more modern that was minted in the 1920s, you know, this coin was minted in 1800. I think we're talking about John Adams was president of the United States. Uh, it is such an old and rare coin, only less than 40,000 of them were minted. But that's a $20,000 coin by itself. Wow, no kidding. You can acquire silver quarters, you know, for 6 or $7 a coin, and you can buy a standard $20 gold coin in mint condition for under three grand. So there's a lot of different ways to go. A lot of people like the real super rare coins, even the ones that cost several hundred, in fact, several hundred thousand dollars per coin. We've had four new coins that have broken the million dollar barrier this past month. No kidding. I'm um, including a 1796 quarter that just went from 1.18 million for a quarter from 1796, a silver quarter that has, uh, you know, $3 worth of silver melt, $4 worth of melt wow. content, sold for over a million dollars. Why? Because it's so extremely rare that people look at that value and believe that if I paid a million for it today, it'll be worth two million in years to come, and it's a great way to store wealth. Oh, so there's a lot of value. Yeah, similar to a painting, like rare paintings. Exactly. The same deal. Yeah, wow. That's crazy. So our industry goes from the relatively common available product, Mm -hmm. you know, the most common rare coins. I know that sounds a bit oxymoronic, (laughs) a common rare coin. Common rare. But the more generic, as we call them, uh, are much more affordable. But again, for those people that have large portfolios, uh, a nice few rare coin portfolio pieces make perfect sense. So uh, for those that are interested in rarity, you know, um, our, our inventory is very limited on those. In fact, the only really high quality rare coin I have is that one at this moment at $1,805. But um, other than that, I find that the generic coins, the standard $20 gold pieces and silver quarters and dimes make perfect sense for an average investor. It allows them to add incrementally and build their little stash pile over time. Mm. We got a a couple little specials before we go here for this week. Yeah. So I see, uh, well, you tell folks what it is. Yeah, so I put together a gold and silver package, like one gold coin, a $20 gold piece, mm-hmm. the Liberty Head type, which were the ones minted from uh, the late 1860s through 1907. And that Liberty Head $20 gold coin, which is a one-ounce size gold piece, the last regular standard size of American gold coin. It's a mint state, 64 grade, a very high quality, professionally graded and certified, sealed in an NGC holder, along with 200 circulated silver quarters. So these are just raw, loose, circulated coins. 64 and below. Mint condition, Mm -hmm. MS64 gold, $20, Mm -hmm. and uh, 200 of the silver quarters. And that's a package available for $4,215. Okay. $4,215. That's fun. I have a matching pair. It's the other $20 gold coin. It's known as a St. Gaudens. Everything effectively the same on the two types of 20s in terms of weight and things of that nature. The differences in design and when they were produced. So the St. Gaudens was the more recent. They started in 1907 
ending in 1933. And the example I pulled is an MS-65. It's actually a grade higher, but because it's slightly more recent, it's actually a little bit less expensive. Along with that, I put together a hundred silver dollars that are about a hundred years old. Wow. Each one of them is a Mint State 64 grade. Each one of these coins is individually sealed in the sonically sealed NGC tamper-proof holders. That package is the St. Gaudens and MS-65, the 100 Morgans and MS-64, and together at $4,100. And you can do the whole deal for 83 if you want them both, 8,300 if you want them both. Anybody wants them both, I'll actually, I'll discount that a little bit. Somebody calls me, I'll make the best deal I can for them on the pair. Um, Some people have bought, bought multiples of these, you know, somebody bought five of one and two of the other, that kind of thing. You can interchange, mix them, whatever you want to do there. It's, it's perfectly fine, but give us a call at 800-878-2646 and we'll be happy to help you. I think these are a great way for people to add incrementally to their physical wealth positions, which I strongly encourage people to do in this current economic economic environment. We get this question a lot, and let's deal with it before we go, the idea of having gold and silver in your retirement accounts. Um, It's usually the same answer, right? Kind of, sort of, maybe, yes. Well, here's the thing. Um, Most of the retirement accounts that are able to have any form of gold and silver are limited Mm -hmm. to one product, and that is the Gold Eagles or American Silver Eagles. It's Mm -hmm. the only product the government will allow retirement accounts to have, but the investor cannot take delivery. They have to be stored by a third party. So that means if you have, let's say, an IRA account and you want to own gold and silver within that IRA, Mm -hmm. you actually have to move your IRA account to a facility that also can uh, store physical American gold coins for you in the gold eagles or silver eagles. So it is something people can do. Uh, By default, I've always said I think any form of gold and silver has got to be better than paper money. Sure, sure. But the retirement accounts, unfortunately, don't allow any of the pre-33 gold or pre-64 silver, they lock you into dealing with the bullion products uh, because, again, the government regulates those, and these are retirement accounts, and you can't have physical possession. So it's a little complicated. Um, The possibility does exist for those people. A lot of people have done this. Uh, I don't sell the bullion products, so I cannot facilitate for those that are looking to do that. A lot of people ask me about that every week, and uh, unfortunately, it's just not what we do. do. So. For those that want possession, I can provide possession, but it will be in the pre-33 gold and the pre-65 silver coins. I think somebody's calling. Good morning. Who's this? Hello? No, that was nobody. Somebody's just calling to, to, to check in. Well, what fun. Here we are. November 2020. And all I can say is we have made it through November. We have November. made it. That's right. And we haven't crashed. And... <laughs> And unlike a lot of people's opinions that the world was coming to an end last month or the month before, obviously it has not. And again, I have cautioned people. I, I cannot tell you, Patrick, I have turned down more money this year than any time in my career from speculators who said, wow. you know, they want to take a half a million dollars and buy gold and silver because by next month they think the price of silver is going to 200 an ounce. I refuse to take those deals. Wow, really? I told those people I will not do those transactions under that pretense because I don't believe it's going to happen. Hmm. And I think they're simply going to be disappointed. And that makes no sense to me. Good for if you. If you're not putting gold and silver coins you. away for five years or longer, don't bother. There's, just, there's no short term profit to be made here overnight. 
and speculating on some sort of economic short-term disaster is not a smart way for people to invest. Good for you. I, I really am proud of you for doing that. But just big picture, uh, I've had somebody hard. that have asked it's about, hard. yeah, I know, somebody said, here, I want to give you half a million dollars. Um, but somebody called the other day um, with the idea that, say, gold is X amount, right, and then 10 years from now, gold is X amount, and you sell it at a big profit, but then they were arguing that the profit is only going to buy the same amount of goods that you could have bought 10 years ago, so you don't make money. Is that true? That's not true. It's really, uh, I get the point. It, you get the it's point? actually not really correct. Okay. I mean, we, we talked about that, for example, like that silver quarter from 1964, the most commonly available, you know, circulated coin you can get still buys more than it did 50 years ago. Okay, so, with the gasoline, right? and yeah, of course. You're getting twice as much twice as, as you used to for it now, so. right? So, uh, uh, although technically, you know, if you're simply going to look at the math and say, you know, if gold goes up 20% and the inflation was, you know, 20% for the same period of time. In theory, right. You ended up about even. Yeah, that, that could be true. But the point is, is had you not done that and left the money in paper, you would have lost 20%. You would have lost 20%. So you're farther ahead. And this is the point I'm trying to make. This is about wealth protection and diversification. It's just to provide us with a balance. The one thing I know for certain is that if you hold paper money over the next five or 10 years, that is a losing proposition. There is absolutely no way, hmm. absolutely no way, money spent in 10 years will buy the same amount as it buys today. It is not going to happen. Can't happen. That is absolutely certain in my mind. To that point, why would you store your wealth in a form of money you know is gonna go down in purchasing power? No. And even real estate, I mean, so theoretically very stable. A lot of people have made money. But, I mean, real estate could bomb out, too. I mean, it could really crash, right? I mean, possible. Well, we've had corrections. Yeah. You know, real estate is an un, a little bit different of an economy it? in, in its own right because most people don't buy property. They buy the money. They're not really buying the house. They're borrowing the money to buy the house. That's what they're buying. They're buying the interest rate on the oh, money. Oh, they're buying the interest and rate on the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really what they're doing. So... When you think about um, the prices of real estate are subject to the interest rate environment more than almost anything else, uh, there are other variables there that come into play. I like real estate from the standpoint of it being a real physical, tangible yeah, asset. A piece of ground. It's a little difficult to work with in terms of an investment, though. I mean, if you needed to raise money, you can't cut a room off of your home and sell it and just raise the little bit of revenue that you get from selling a single room. You can't do that. It's an all or nothing prospect. Yeah. And obviously, since 2008, we've learned the hard way that real estate is subject to massive price corrections if the underlying way that the market is being um, valued changes. So interest rates, as we've talked about, are really a big key to the value of prices. Prices have come down on real estate because interest rates went up. Going up. The house didn't change. Right, the same house is the same house as it was six months ago without any improvements. Why does the price change? It's really because of the borrowing cost of the money. So, real estate is subject to a number of variables that you have to account for. Other than that, I really do like it as a long term asset uh, for people because of its physical nature and the tendency, normally speaking, is for real estate properties to appreciate over time. But there are times where it gets ahead of itself or intervention in the interest rate market changes the nature of the value of real estate. 
I can recall in the 86, I think it was 86, I was in Austin during the savings and loan thing, which I never yeah, did I understand. And man, they were, you couldn't give property away. You go out in the country, people were just, they just, you could get it for, I mean, it's crazy. It was nuts. Sure. It was nuts. That happens from time to time in that market mm-hmm. because of other variables. The reason I've always liked gold and silver is there's no third party uh, involved. You own it 100% outright. You're not mortgaging anything. You're not borrowing money to purchase the gold and silver coins. You own them 100%, no third-party intervention. Nobody intervenes in its market value. It's the pure nature of the market that adds for you know uh, its corrections and for its current market prices. So I like that in that it's a similar prospect to, let's say somebody had a real estate portfolio, and that means you own you know, a few condos or a few homes or some land, but you all, in all cases, you own it 100% outright. Mm-hmm. That's a completely different environment than if you borrow money against each of those properties. No. Does then ever, you're subject to much change. Does it ever make sense to borrow money and buy gold and silver coins from you? It does, and a lot of people have done that over the years. Okay. I mean, again, recently when interest rates were ridiculously low, a lot of people said, I could borrow money at 0.25% or 1%. You know, all I have to see is a 1% increase in the price of gold and silver coins in order to compensate for that. That makes sense. So, yeah, it, it has been done from time to time, and, and it's something that people can do. I really say that that should be kind of a last resort. Um, I would rather see people only spend comfortable money that they have access to that they were going to hold and store anyway, as opposed to going into debt to borrow money to do any investing that always adds a lot more risk, but it can be done. And it's at that point, it's I about cash flow if you can afford the payments on the loan. I mean, that's a sure. yeah, it's a, it's a big deal, right? That's a big deal. Okay, kiddo, well, thanks for being here. We uh, covered a lot of territory. Hope people better understand what we're looking at here in the world of money. So give Fred a call if you care to, and uh, he'll take care of you. He's got a whole team there, and just uh, uh, 800-878-2646, and and you guys uh, spend time with folks, and right, you have a little time to, you just don't try to sell we them do. something. Uh, we like to make sure that people have a good fundamental understanding. Again, I know we're dealing with a lot of, you know, what they would call inside baseball, a lot <laughs> of kind of technical right. issues. But the fundamental thing to remember is that paper money is floating around the United States today completely unbacked. And that means the only value it has is about how much of it exists. And if we keep increasing its supply, more than the economy is growing, we are devaluing that money, and that affects the wealth of the average American. And again, all I'm suggesting is don't put all your money in any one area, including gold and silver. You know, I do not recommend people have all their money in gold and silver either. It's about diversification. Mm-hmm. But for protection, you know, please, people, do yourself a favor. Have at least some portion of your long-term money not tied to paper. Yeah, you know, I don't know about that. If I was on an island, Fiji, and I had a little safe with a bunch of gold in there, I'd be feeling pretty good. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm just being silly. I, I understand what, what you're saying. Okay, Fred, you take care of yourself. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate you, it. Patrick, be well. Okay, brother. Thank you. Fred Deseski, Patrick Timpone, and it is the real world of money. Fred's number, 800-878-2646. Give him a call. Good people, as you can hear. He's a very ethical guy, and he's not going to uh, try to sell you a bunch of stuff or whatever. It just doesn't, doesn't happen, you know. Just not the way they're they're wired in there. Well, I think we'll um, you want. I think we'll just um, 
uh, take a little quick break here, about five minutes, and then come back and uh, talk to you if you want to uh, um, get involved. And in, well, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but we can talk for a few minutes about life and love and fooling around. And uh, so stay right there, and uh, we'll be right back. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is one. RadioNetwork.com. <laughs> 